two questions bookend this passage. Did you hear them? What are you arguing about? And why couldn't we cast it out? These questions frame something that we as American Christians don't like to talk about often, at least in public, doubt and failure. But really, it's failure that we don't like to talk about. Even I struggled with what to call this sermon, a doubter's guide to the gospel or a failure's guide to the gospel. And I went with doubt because I don't like to talk about failure in public either. So I'm struggling with that exact same tension because it's such a loaded word, failure. Its root means to fall or to stumble. And then from there, it's no small leap to conclude that the one who falls is lacking in whatever would prevent falling. So then the word failure gets applied to everything from math tests to banks to human beings. Describing one who is unsuccessful, inefficient, inadequate, defective, failure. This word doesn't feel like there's any space for redemption or grace in it for one with that label. Except we should put an asterisk for banks. Doesn't make sense. Banks are too big to fail. When I think about failures in my life, ones that I want to talk about anyway, I immediately think about school. Maybe you all do too. Because I'm much more comfortable telling you about math tests that I failed and how I barely passed the one math class I needed to graduate in college than I am telling you how I fail at relationships, how I fail at listening, how I fail about telling the truth, and how I'm willing to argue about it, to say, well, sometimes the truth hurts. And I'm not listening to that same old story over and over again. I'm just done. So when Jesus comes upon an argument between his disciples and some representatives of the scribal scholarly class, his question pricks something in me. What are you arguing about? What are you getting so loud and heated about? Is it worth all this energy you're giving to it? Or are you arguing about something because it's a cover for something else? Something else you don't want to deal with? We find out what the argument is about. This father has come to see Jesus about healing his son, who's got a demon, preventing him from speaking and hearing, preventing communication from this one small child to the rest of the world. But Jesus wasn't available. So this dad goes to the next best thing, his disciples, thinking surely the disciples can do what Jesus has done. They've been with him all this time, but they cannot. 
And it's not even like this inability to heal this child is in the privacy of somebody's home, which is where I want to be if I'm going to fail. I don't want to be in front of a lot of people. I want to be preferably alone. No cell phone or any Alexa to pick up my failure and broadcast it. Just alone, where no one can know that I failed. But these poor disciples have an audience. Gosh, I feel for them. They are full, surrounded by a group of people, and some in this crowd are jumping all over their inability to heal. I don't know about you, but when I'm asked a question or requested to do something and there's an audience, something inside of me shifts. I'm on the stage. I mean, literally, but I am on, I'm on. I have to perform. I have to do the right thing. I've got to do well. That's the internal narrative and script that clicks on every time I know I'm being watched. And I get defensive when I can't do it or when I think I'm not going to do it. I am ready to defend my way and give excuse and reason and explanation about why I can't do it. And so I feel for these disciples because I'm one of them. I hear in their question, why couldn't we cast it out, Jesus? I hear frustration defensiveness, shame, and grief. It's this grief that manifests itself in the need to pull Jesus aside with their most burning question. Why couldn't we cast it out? Covering for why is life so hard? Why can't I do what you do, Jesus? Why am I not enough? And in response to their question, in response to my question, Jesus says this kind of spirit can only come out through prayer. As I've thought about this kind of spirit, I think it's the kind that prevents connection, that genuine relationship with another person. For me, one of that spirit's names is fear of failure. Why bother connecting with someone if I'm just going to let them down? A fear of failure, preventing hearing and speaking with another person. It's the spirit that keeps us quiet also about our own struggles. Feeding us this lie that we've got to figure it out ourselves, that we cannot fail, that we have to have it all together before we can be really real with someone else. That spirit is everywhere. Even in a group of disciples who've been with Jesus for years. Because they can't cast out something that still has some power over them. They can't save themselves. We can't save ourselves. I guess this is good news. That we need help. Just like the boy needed his father, who needed the disciples, all of them needed Jesus to actually and ultimately cast out this spirit, this fear of failure. 
But it wasn't done without prayer. But what kind of prayer? I think the prayer that Jesus was referring to is the small statement confession of faith that is prayer that came from the Father. I believe. Help my unbelief. It's the most genuine prayer I think any disciple can ever pray. It's the one that I could ever pray. So these disciples couldn't cast this demon out because they had forgotten to pray that prayer. They were still possessed by those spirits of pride and feeling exclusive that they were part of the twelve Jesus had called to be with him. And so they spent their energy defending that chosenness, arguing about their failure, and defending their reputations as faithful followers of Jesus, instead of realizing there are spiritual needs right in front of us that need our focus. And perhaps they had attempted some version of demon be gone. They'd seen Jesus do it hundreds of times. But the spirits that render us unable to speak and hear one another in places of struggle are often the ones that enter into us as children. Learning to grow and navigate a world that still categorizes people as successes or failures. These spirits grow up with us and are the ones that take prayer and relationship to cast out. We can't do that by ourselves. Praying the prayer, I believe, help my unbelief, is the prayer of one who realizes that failure is not the worst thing, and neither is saying them aloud. To say, I have doubts, which is simply an entry into, I have a question. Is this really real? I need to know. The disciple Thomas teaches us that. Questions help us get to what is really real. And naming the thing we're afraid of out loud is a way that fear starts to loosen its grip on us. I believe, but there's part of me that really struggles. Names this tension that is faith. And it's a tension I don't think ever gets resolved while we're on this side of life. But I think that's part of the good news. That it's in the tension that we move. Maybe even dance. Between belief and unbelief. Between doubt and faith between despair and hope. And in the tension between, there is space for transformation, for all things to be possible, for anything to happen. There's space for a prayer to defend against the lie that we can and should and must do it all ourselves. There's space for prayer to defend against the despair that nothing will ever change. Or against the apathy and complacency that we just don't have what we need to do anything about the way things are. I believe, help my unbelief, leaves the door open 
for relationship to emerge out of what we perceive as our failures. Praying this prayer puts us in good company also. Not only with this unnamed father, but with Jesus, who had a spirit that troubled him, that threw him to the ground as he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. If this is the fate that is to befall me, not what I want, but you, what you want. The balance between belief and the things we struggle to believe is found in this Father, in Jesus, and in us. And in this Father's story, in Jesus' story, in our story, God is working and doing God's job in God's time. When life is great and when life is in shambles. I believe, help my unbelief, is the prayer that grants that appearances are not what they seem. There's more to the story than what meets the eye. See, the crowd saw the spirits parting attempt to destroy this child and they thought the boy was dead. But then Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up. The crowd on Good Friday saw Jesus take his last ragged breath, heard his cry as he died, and they all thought that he was dead. But then on Easter morning, God took Jesus by the hand and raised him up. Spirits that possess us, telling us we're failures, telling us to be quiet as they toss us into despair. They have been around in us and around us for a long time. They're in the air we breathe, the water we drink. But also the spirit of Jesus has been around for a much longer time and can transform water, can change the air, and gives us that same spirit of prayer that then shapes how we enter into difficult conversations and situations so that we bring the light of Christ and not the heat of argument. Jesus shows us how to do this by making time to be alone with his Abba in prayer. Using that time where it was just Jesus and the one he called Father. To cultivate that relationship, which then would guide Jesus as he entered into relationship with others. We have those same kinds of opportunities. To be alone with God and then to take what we've learned in those relationships that we each have with God to enhance ours together as a church in the conversations we can have and will have in the coming days and weeks. In fact, as part of our mutual ministry commitment way back in April, where we discussed what we would commit to, we covenanted together as pastor and people to be in relationships where these kinds of conversations happen. We said that we will recognize the sacred nature of our calling and our need for the grace of God. We recognize that no pastor 
No person can ever fulfill another's expectations and that we're all human and will make mistakes. And so we will forgive and receive forgiveness from one another as we grow in our commitment to loving God and living out the good news. So my prayer today for our church is that we see these opportunities for conversations as gifts, as places to name the things we're afraid of, the things we're afraid to fail, and then to view the work of tending our relationships as an act of prayer, as an act of prayer that expresses our faith and trust in the power of God to transform situations that seem full of fear into ones that are full of hope. Here's a question I'm still pondering and I'd love to think with you about. Who's depending on us to express this kind of trust and belief? Think back to that father-son relationship. Whose ability to stand needs us to first take a stand in prayer so that Christ in us can take them by the hand and lead them into relationship. And then a prayer that we need to hear again to ground us for the days to come. Lord God, we come to you. We come with our hopes and our dreams, our fears and our failures, our faith and our doubts, our troubles and our triumphs. We ask you to walk with us throughout our days, giving us faith when we waver, hope when we despair, and love when we need it most. Heal us in our brokenness. Love us in our shortcomings. Encourage us in our misgivings. And empower us with your spirit. Renew us in your life, love, and peace. So we can renew others. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.